I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Twig 120. We are here with myself, Joe Kim, Mishka Katkoff, and Eric Kress. Adam is not with us this week, but for today, we are going to be covering four news articles first. Zynga is building its own ad network, Mulling M&A by AdExchanger. Second, Bad Robot looking to be the rare Hollywood and games success story by GI.biz. Third, Microsoft's head of cloud gaming, James Worksman, talks past, present, and future of gaming tech by GameRant. And finally, my take on Supercell in 2020 as we begin our second decade from Ilka Pananen, CEO of Supercell from the Supercell blog. What's up, guys? We're, we're all in weird locations. We're all, like, yeah. Eric is in his... In his um, I want to call it Eagle's Nest, but don't be wrong. <laughs> the gamer den, dude. It's just, it's all about it's the, video games. Well, it's the exercise. HQ. Yeah, it's lifting and games. That's what it's all about. Like a bike, a dumbbells, and a couple of uh, beautiful yeah, images of games. The, by the way, the update on the 15 by 50 is I, I my back got injured for the last two weeks, so I've been on hiatus. But that does not deter me. I am going to get this done. But I'm I'm basically been stable for the last couple of weeks, so I need to get back into it this week because I think it, my back is back. Nice. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Jake can give you the uh, the Goggins book. Unbra was it called <laughs> Unbreakable or something? That that should motivate you a little bit. <laughs> I tell you, I, I the, the really scary part is I bought this super fancy bike, and the minute I did like a crazy like two hour ride, which is a lot for me, my back and my knee just got shot. <laughs> I'm like, I spent all this money on this freaking bike and it may be the cause of all this pain and agony. So I'll be very sad. So, but I, I, I we'll get back into it and we'll, we'll keep going. Yeah. All right. Gaming. Mis right, right. All right. Let's just roll into it then. I guess we've got a bunch of updates starting with me first. The Verge is reporting that Microsoft is starting its xCloud game streaming through a web browser. 
In sources told The Verge that employees are now testing this web version of xCloud ahead of a public preview, so that should be coming up pretty soon. And this service will allow Xbox players to access not only through browser, but will open up xCloud to work on devices like iPhone and iPad as well. But currently, xCloud is available on Android. Second update, three months ago, PUBG Corp promised to launch PUBG Mobile for India. But according to the publication DNA India, PUBG Corp has no near-term plans to launch the game anytime soon. I think this is just them with speculation, but that it is true that I have not heard of any announcements in terms of PUBG for India. But I will say if anyone from Crafton is listening, I can definitely recommend a very good studio you can partner with for India called Leela Games. So hit me up. Anyway, what, what, is, what is India's beef with PUBG? I, I'm sorry, I, I'm missing this. This context. It's not just PUBG. There That's were it. actually, I think, 114 apps that were basically banned as part of the the ongoing sort of skirmishes and rivalry between uh, India and China. There've been actually some physical confrontations on their border that led to a number of bans being out and things like that. Oh, so they're targeting Chinese specific apps. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry, I didn't know that. Third update, Forbes is reporting that according to Hasbro's latest earnings report, Magic the Gathering had its best-selling year ever in the game's 27-year history. So Magic made $581.2 million in 2020, and that is actually up 27% from the year earlier in 2019. Why? No, the card game. COVID, dude. The card game. I wish they could get find some success in interactive, but like I just feel like this license is just never is is destined for failure interactive. But man, these but, things just sell off the shelves. But know? but how do how that's what I mean? Like it's a physical game. Like you have to go to a tournament. How how does it succeed in in COVID? I I assume that also includes their digital revenues for Magic. There there are a bunch of Magic games and stuff as well. And I I know a lot of people yeah. that continue to play all the time. I mean. You know, Magic's a fantastic game. I, I, but I do agree they, they could be doing better. Fourth update, IGN is reporting that Zynga will launch its unannounced Star Wars game by end of this year. And as we had reported before, Zynga did open a brand new Austin, Texas studio to develop the Star Wars game. And the other thing to note is that Zynga in other reports has stated that it has, quote, a mission of bringing AAA console visuals and deep, compelling gameplay to mobile platforms. So you can kind of imagine that the Star Wars game might be not just a mobile game, but might be more cross-platform, might be more like Genshin Impact. Dude, this feels, you know what this feels like? This feels like Raid. This doesn't feel like Genshin. But but that would be too close to Galaxy of Heroes. I, 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 I... Sorry, I'm, I mean, I'm they, not saying they've got to have some game. Experience. I'm just saying the gameplay, like it's just transferred to PC. You know, it's not like this is not going to be a Genshin type game. I just don't. I, I just can't even imagine that. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah, PC skew rather. Fifth update: AppsFlyer just announced a new product called Predict SK, basically a service that appears to try to work within the compa- the confines of Apple's SK ad network and predict user behavior and do some type of attribution with just the data collected using SK Ad Network. So, you know, that's very limited within the first 24 hours and with all the limitations imposed on by Apple. So I suspect a lot of devs are not ready. They're going to be caught pants down to try and optimize SK Ad Network. And so it does sound on the face of it like a potentially good offering. So folks who are interested, check that out. 
Sixth update, since the SEC started to push back on Roblox's form of revenue recognition, Roblox has now uh, restated their financials and that actually boosts the revenue uh, before Roblox was, and we, we kind of talked about this on previous podcasts before, but they've been a little bit too conservative with how they recognize revenue and how long they defer, but also in terms of the types of of um, IAP and how they classify what IAP to defer and what not to defer. Uh, also, Roblox is now suggesting they will go public in March. And final update from me is that this Friday at 12 p.m. PST, we are getting a murderer's row of free-to-play game designers and experts joining me and Mitch Zamar to talk about how to fix Clash Royale. And we'll hear a lot of different opinions on what to do for Clash Royale. I'm sure it'll be chaotic, hopefully fun. And we'll see how this goes. And on top of that, I'm trying to convince machinations.io to then take some of the best ideas and see if we can simulate what the impact of that would potentially be on Clash Royale. So if you are available, feel free to join us. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Somebody from Clash Royale should join this. This sounds like a this sounds like a like a job interview for the position. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let me continue with with just a one piece of news. So, to, this marks a record year from Remedy, despite the company not releasing new new games. So, Remedy enjoyed its best year ever with full year revenues up by thirty percent to forty one point five million euros. All this was achieved again without launching new games. So Remedy, if you guys don't know, it's a smaller AAA developer, independent developer. Their their latest title, uh, Control, was really well received across the world. A lot of nominations, a lot of a lot of categories wins. Previously, Alan Wake, Max Payne. So I'm highlighting it, even though I don't follow AAA, but they're literally like the neighboring studio here where I live. So I have to give them a shout out. And a couple of interesting things, they're they're working on uh, crossfire story mode. So they're really good narrative designers. They're also pretty good shooter designers because um, their previous games are shooters and they're actually working on their first game as a software uh, t- title called Wait. Vanguard. Is, so. is, the, is the reason that Remedy rates on this is because they're Finnish? I mean, is that is that the only reason we're talking about this? Yes, control, yes, yeah. Control they're literally, by. Control they, game is, are they friends of yours? Do you like hang out yes. with the families or something? Yeah. But, like these guys are <laughs> tiny. Now Control is literally on every platform known to man and it's actually a great game. So more power to you, but this is not, maybe, maybe this is just PR for getting sold or something. I mean, why are they? I'm. <laughs> I'm taking this peer. They're public. So this is a public company, actually. So they're not oh, looking out. to be sold. Yes. This is a public company in the Finnish stock exchange. Uh, actually, Helsinki Stock Exchange, which is the Finnish stock exchange. And yes, this might be PR and I'm biting on it because they're good guys. And shout out to Remedy for making great games. Oh, my God. You're so biased. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's next? Uh, let's talk about oh, Tencent. Tencent. Okay, so I'm stealing this from Adam, who couldn't be here today, but uh, but he did the work, so I'll give him credit. Um, I guess there was an announcement, something around Tencent and uh, Respawn uh, getting Apex Lo- uh, Legends out on mobile. Um, and basically, well, Daniel, I actually met Daniel, didn't I? Didn't we talk to Daniel on the podcast? Anyway, whatever. Daniel, Daniel. Um, um, Ahmad is, is kind of the PM, or he's kind of in charge of this, and he's an intense dude. Um, and he's basically kind of helping 
along the development, um, which is basically being run by by Tencent. Uh, they're looking at a Q3 release, I think. I don't even know if they're going to do beta, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But anyway, but the rumor is that the specs are going to be pretty insane, iPhone 8 or above. Uh, basically, this is a real focus on tier one markets and certainly not going after something like Garena, which can be played in lots more devices. Um, but my, my issue here, though, is... Uh, I don't know how this game is really going to translate to mobile very well because it's so Twitch and it's first person. But I, I have no doubt that the teamy guys are going to know what they're doing. And maybe they modify the game design to make it more compelling on mobile. Um, but but we'll see. You know, we'll see if, uh, if, if they can execute against it and see how well they can do. But, you know, it's a good, great development team. Uh, Daniel is super intense and hardcore, and I think he gets it. So we'll see if they can build an economy and build a successful game and, and extend the success of Apex outside of PC on a mobile. What do you guys think about this one, actually? This yeah. So, so Daniel is actually the uh, the analyst from Nico Partners. That's who that's who you were thinking about. And yes, you have you've been on a podcast with him talking about the China. <laughs> oh and no, no, was... okay, sorry. So I was getting confused. <laughs> I, I, I met I met the PM from EA. Oh, Giovanni Ducati. Yes, Giovanni, Giovanni Ducati. Ducati, the fucking coolest name ever, right? <laughs> anyway, he's a really good guy. Super intense. And like he's on top, on on point on this. And uh, anyway, got it. That's that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to Giovanni. Yes, <laughs> Giovanni. And this is um, actually interesting because EA is working on another shooter game. They bought the um, industrial toys in Pasadena. Uh, the, uh, the the maker oh. of, of Halo, uh, Seropian, Alex Seropian, his yeah, studio. Yeah. And there's different kind of rumors of what kind of game they're making. But oh, that's yeah. who's making Battlefield. That's that makes sense. Oh my god, I totally didn't even know that. I I actually just went through all of EA's acquisition. I saw Industrial Toys, and I, mean, I know them from Kabam because they were working on a game uh, for publishing, for, I think, for a while. But anyway, or we were looking at them for a publishing deal. Anyway, yeah, that makes sense. They're probably working on Battlefield. Unconfirmed. Unconfirmed. <laughs> Look, man, this is what we do. <laughs> this is this is just a rumor, unconfirmed, but most likely working on a shooter since Industrial Toys worked on Morning Star or something like that, Something Star game. Great studio down in Pasadena, and Giovanni Ducati is down there in Beverly Hills. You just Hill. like saying the name, right? It's just it just. Flows. I, I like Giovanni a lot. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hopefully, he doesn't listen to this podcast. All right, moving he does. on. <laughs> Hey folks, we're going to cut out for a quick commercial break from one of our sponsors, Square Enix Montreal. So check it out and stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, if you've played Lara Croft Go, Hitman Sniper, or Hitman Go, then you know Square Enix Montreal. Guess what guys? The studio is looking for top talent to create the mobile games of tomorrow today. Square Enix Montreal pushes the boundaries of AAA gameplay and stunning design for mobile screens. And the team there is working on three new games, including a game with augmented reality features and a game based on an entirely brand new IP. The Montreal-based studio has over 25 open positions, including executive producer, data analyst, and art director. So if you are looking for a new opportunity, you're going to want to visit semmtl.com slash DOF to find out more. Link in the show notes. Check it out. Welcome back from the commercial break, and let's get back to the discussion right now. All right, rolling into the news. So first article, Zynga is building its own ad network, Mulling M&A. So according to ad exchanger, Zynga CEO Frank Jabot has stated that Zynga will build 
about its own ad network, including, quote, key components of technology, unquote. So basically are suggesting related to demand side, so supply side, an exchange layer, and some type of attribution. Further, Jabot stated, quote, we're also looking at acquisitions as a potential opportunity to accelerate in key areas and also potentially add scale to this initiative that we think will be powerful growth drivers for us in 2021 and beyond. Then CFO Gerard Griffin stated that its ambition is to have a, quote, a significant part, unquote, of its business go through its own network given Zynga scale. And then finally, Bernard Kim Zynga's president of publishing also stated one of Zynga's biggest costs is buying ads to promote its games on other networks. So they want to capture some of that margin. So my take on this is that with M&A drying up, Zynga on the studio side, Zynga now is looking to basically follow AppLovin's path and become more vertically integrated. This announcement also really makes the Rolic acquisition make a lot more sense now. They were actually buying inventory for their upcoming ad network as well. Hence, this must have been in the planning for a while. Now, the problem with this model, and just to be clear, I, I don't like it. And we've stated on multiple occasions in the past is that this type of, you know, this type of business model is extremely fraught with conflict of interest, what Tim Sweeney calls a customer adversarial relationship and the potential to do bad things, very bad things with the data from their customers on behalf of their own interests on the game studio side is pretty high. So anyway, for many of you who have listened or read some of my material via newsletters, I've been warning about this for a while and I've been foreshadowing these kinds of activities in what I call the data wars of 2021. This is a start guys, there's gonna be other things that big companies and small companies are working on right now to basically steal your data. And it's not good. Any, any initiative in this area is generally not good, but you should be aware of what's happening. Some of the bad things you can do, one, you could use competitor data to inform ad creatives and figure out good games to compete against. And secondly, and probably more disturbingly, in a clubhouse talk last week, a Zing exec talked about a term I had until now not heard of called high frequency UA. Now, on the face of it, this term doesn't actually make any sense. Unless, maybe, only thing that I can think of is if you own your ad network. So there is a, a concept that was became popularized when Robinhood and the whole GME debacle kind of came to public light around various kinds of customer adversarial relationships around high frequency trading, around what's called uh, payment for order flow. And essentially, just to just to summarize this really quickly, like there's potential for for Zynga, similar to how it happens in finance, to front run their customers, to take the customer data and use it for their own purposes. And so, I would just say, this just generally is a bad idea. I'm not saying that Zynga is planning on doing bad things, but you can. We've seen time and time again when. Big companies are put into positions with access to data that they could use to gain unfair advantage. It happens. Robinhood was fined $65 million for this. Uh, they've been fined for other things as well. And I think that even great companies like Amazon use their customer data to compete against their customers. Overall, I think this is good news for Zynga. And if you're a Zynga shareholder, probably good news. 
but for other people in the industry, for the ecosystem overall, kind of probably bad news. Right, but okay, right. before, wait, before we move on from that, like Robinhood, their whole business model was doing what you're describing, right? Their whole idea was no commissions for the easy trader, and then they sell their, they yeah, sell their why, data. Why did they get fined? Because they were claiming that they weren't, right? I see, I see. Eh, it's a sketchy business model, I agree. I, I feel like, won't Apple just shut this shit down though? Like not allow this to happen on their on their phones? App like, Levin's doing this right now. I mean, we, we just talked about their acquisition of Adjust last week. And th that's the other thing I, I would say, like if you're Zynga, you know, their next move, my guess for their next move is probably in MMP. So I would say, you know, look at App Supplier, look at Engine, look at, you know, some of these, I mean, it's they're probably going to make a move. Well, I don't know. I would say it's probably better for them to kind of wait for valuations to kind of come down after post IDFA. Yeah, right. Get yeah, that makes sense. At a fire sale, but we'll, we'll see. All right, let's let's take a step back. So Zynga exec that you're quoting is not actually a, an executive, <laughs> and um, I I, I let, happen to not, know it without without talking. Him. So let's not. Yeah, but that, we're not gonna we're not gonna identify. But it, but I but I I have a hint, even though I'm not spending as much time on Clubhouse. That is not an executive, but anyways, and yeah, but the, the, that's the thing is executives are the ones that are all buttoned down, right? So these other guys are the ones that loose lips sink ships type thing, right? <laughs> By the way, right. you know who to. I try to talk to at Zynga? It's like it's like code red. No, no talk, no talk. <laughs> okay, so AppLovin is building a self-sufficient advertising ecosystem to connect first-party properties that we know. And Zynga in its Q4 earning calls last week said that they have an attempt to build an autonomous ecosystem across platform play and building an advertising network for that cross platform play. So the goal is to connect their first party titles with proprietary ad network and then project some of its content interaction onto platforms that aren't governed by Apple and Google in a way circumvent the ATT. So in all simplicity, we've seen this happening already and not, not talking about Apple, I'm not talking about the acquisition. We've seen We've seen certain game types, game genres that rely on low DAU, high monetization games, so well games moving, not moving off of mobile, but opening up SKUs on PC for it. So we've seen Clarium with Raid. That's a good example. Um, that Russian game that is doing SPAC, uh, Hero Hero Wars. Hero Wars is doing that one as well. Uh, Scopely, they released some, something around Star Trek that is also web-based. Most likely they will take their 4X games as well as their RPG games uh, to PC. It just makes sense to open up that, that web uh, SKU. So what that essentially, I'm not going to, you know, talk about what it could mean, how shady it is, bring in Robin Hood to this. What I'm saying is that it's going to be change of the strategy of the company because they won't be buying companies uh, for premium to make more EBITDA like they used before. Uh, they will most likely invest more into their central organization because running all this cross-promotion, uh, building a central infrastructure to operate an internal ad network and the BI around it, that's going to be a, a pretty heavy lifting that's going to be most likely done out of San Francisco. And then in addition to that, the studios will have to create and actually operate web SKUs which will increase their overhead. So we think about like um, puzzles, uh, puzzles and empires. Now they have a web skew that, that they have to update at the same time. So there's probably a web team doing that. It's a smaller team, but still that grows grows the overhead. And um, I think overall, this is all part of, of Eric Suford's 
um, thesis of establishing content fortresses. I have a lot of questions around this. I can't answer them, but luckily Eric is, is jumping on a podcast tomorrow. So we're going to dive deeper into this and what this means. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually be really interested to, to see what Eric Supert says about all this stuff. But... Come on on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, my conspir- conspiracy theories. <laughs> Here's my latest conspiracy theory is that Eric Seifert is out there talking about the epic, you know, apocalypse of IDFA, right? And how it's going to just destroy everybody, right? He's been saying this for months and months and months. I don't know if he actually believes it. I think what he's doing is trading the opposite, right? He's buying all the companies in his personal account. Because when IDFA happens, it's not going to be that big of a deal, right? <laughs> and then he's going to make gazillions, right? So he's 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 it's brilliant, right? It's like the Y two K thing, right? All the consultants got tons of money because they're saying this is going to be the worst thing in the world for the world, you know? It's everything's going to crash, right? So they got paid all this money to like consult on Y two K, and then nothing happened. <laughs> I think that's my latest conspiracy theory with Seifert. But what, let's let's talk about that in the next growth triggers. Maybe this isn't that big of a deal. And tell me, what stocks are you owning right now? Do you own Zynga? Do you, do you own anyway? <laughs> he most likely does. <laughs> but <All right>. I, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Eric. Yeah. Just relax. Okay. Uh, the next one. Uh, Microsoft's head of cloud gaming, James Gertzman, talks present future of gaming tech. And I actually met James when he was at PlayFab before he got acquired by e, by Microsoft uh, at E3 or something or GDC or something. But anyway, nice guy, really smart. Um, Really small industry, obviously. So basically he describes how like analytic, how games have become like a service, right? Which is obvious, right? With analytics, content, data on servers, et cetera. And you could use, you know, a service like PlayFab to do leaderboards, matchmaking, analytics, content updates. And this is basically what PlayFab was building before they were acquired, and now they continue to do that. And the whole point of PlayFab's existence is to do the backend stuff so that the game makers can do the fun bits or the good bits, as people have said. So, you know, example he was giving was the flight simulator using real-time weather and satellite data to manufacture the worlds, which could not be possible without using the cloud. And I think this is kind of where it got he got interesting was that. He's like, why not create a world like the GTA or Red Dead and then license out or use that world in different game executions, right? It's kind of a, he felt like it's kind of a waste of time and effort and money to build an entire world for just one game, right? So like kind of like a back lot of a studio or something. So yeah, rather than wasting all this massive development, why not leverage it outside of, um, or build worlds that can be leveraged outside of the existing game that you're building, which I thought was quite cool. And then he starts talking about like how cloud enables things like Among Us. Like back in the day, if Among Us was built on their own servers, they would have two or three servers and it would just crash and it wouldn't have been able to scale. But with cloud, it's almost automatic in terms of scaling. So, um, and that's how these type of games can thrive in in the day. Um, So again, the, the last thing he kind of talks about is that like, you know, games, the cloud offers the ability to uh, have the hardware in the cloud, which can can enable you know cloud streaming anywhere in the planet, and it also could enable lots of players to get involved in with within a game. It's kind of like the, the the potential of what the cloud is, right? So anyway, I thought this was a really interesting article because it kind of lays it out in a very very 
relatively boring fashion. It's not so hyperbolic as a lot of the other stuff when we're related to the cloud, because I do think the cloud has enabled amazing things in games, uh, player generated content, unlimited scalability, you know, social features, leaderboards, all that stuff that makes games super compelling, right? And I totally agree with that. Um, but the thing is that like, I, the distinction I wanna make is the cloud distribution versus cloud technologies, right? So all these features are enabled for playing P on your PC and console, right? It's just, the cloud has not been a real great means of actually distributing content in a new way. That's why, you know, like Stadia and Amazon's nonsense, whatever, it doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense, right? Gaming hardware in the cloud doesn't create that much of advantage because all the technology in the backend is being able to be accessed through PCs and consoles in a much more efficient and effective way, right? And so I just want, this is, this is the distinction I always want to make when I read these articles. It's like, until you actually build an experience that can only be delivered in the cloud, will cloud streaming technologies make sense for the, the audience, right? Because I think the console and the PC is always gonna be a preferable device for that, unless there's an experience that can't be done. And I just don't know if that experience exists at this stage. And certainly now that Stadia is done and those guys aren't developing anything, they shut that down, who is actually making games that leverage this cloud distribution? Right, I, I, maybe Microsoft, you know, I don't know. But anyway, I just want to basically make that distinction. Cloud technologies enable the coolest stuff in video games, like World of Warcraft, of course, <laughs> all the social features and everything. But that, those technologies exist to serve both PC and console. That doesn't mean that they have to be distributed from the cloud using something like Stadia or Amazon's thing. So anyway. That is the, uh, I just wanted to make that article. And and I'm really happy for his success. I mean, I think the company was pretty well positioned at the time. And he could have hold, held out a little bit longer, made some more money, right? Given where we're at right now. But uh, um, anyway, that's all I got. Yeah, Nothing just to a quick add. clarification, uh, Stadia, I mean, they just announced a hundred more games. So I, I think, you know, it, well, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a fan of Stadia, but, but I, I think that they're not done yet, right? It's no, 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 my, my, no, my point has always been my point for the last two years is that if they don't build their own content that is unique to Stadia, game over, right? There's no reason to go to Stadia. Like console, Microsoft and Sony will be always be a preferable console, uh, a platform to play. So, um, and without that, this thing is going to become, you know, they're just going to white label yeah, yeah. it. Again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not debating. I'm just saying that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not say they're done just yet but you know i mean the no i will say trends. it we see the trends <laughs> yeah, they're done they're done <laughs> all right let's talk about something uh even more aspirational so this was an article in games industry biz and the article title is bad robot is looking to be the rare hollywood and games success story so when hollywood tries to get into the games it, it often doesn't end well and JK is, uh, is living and walking <laughs> proof of that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we, this is an interesting article. It was a, it had a veteran developer and a Turtle Rock studio, Turtle Rock Studios founder, Mike Booth, uh, 
about him taking a lead of Bad Robot Game Studios. And according to Mike, the fundamental problem is that making movies and making games is similar. Now, this he might be referring to AAA games when, and that's that might be true. So he says filmmakers filmmakers are folks who are very good about structuring and pacing the of the story, how things flow, the character reveals, and that sort of things. And you just don't have that level of control in a video game generally. The thing that attracts people to game is the feeling of agency and that it and that it's them making decisions and moving things forward. So currently Booth and his team are working on original intellectual property for Bad Robot, a full AAA title on a PC and consoles with a possible move into mobile as well. Anyway, so my take on this is this. So Bad Robot is J.J. Abrams' production company. They have franchises like Mission Impossible, Star Wars, Star Trek, and the first game that this that their internal studio will be building as a triple a game with an original ip that is then turned into an entertainment franchise that possibly will have movies and and tv shows now of course extremely aspirational and that it that it should be from a from a you know such a fantastic production company as bad robot at the same time i don't know anything that that could be more difficult because you have to first build a good a really good studio to make a triple a game a big studio then you have to actually make a great game, then turn that game into a fantastic movie or a show. And um, and at the same time, you're targeting probably smaller audience and a more critical audience because you're going after AAA players. You're also facing long development times, very, very long development times, especially because this is your first AAA title from, from that studio. So you probably have to build all the tools and all the engines for making actually the type of games you will be making. And the development costs are incredibly high for a AAA game. I'm not saying they can't do it. Of course not. Mike Booth seems to be the man for the job. Um, personally, I'm a risk-averse person, so I would have probably taken a little bit more incremental approach, maybe co-develop a game or two. Um, definitely use an existing IP to, to drive uh, your work. It helps with a setting, helps with a theme, helps with, with marketing. That would allow them to get them reps in and kind of ship together and then go after this big kahuna, that that massive game that you develop that turns into uh, an entertainment IP. But again, I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about because I haven't worked in Hollywood, unlike my man, JK here, previously a senior vice president at NBC Universal. So what's your take on this? Like you've been on, on, the, on the other side of the table and you guys were actually doing that. You were publishing, you were working with, with you were doing co-development so what's your take? Am I totally wrong? Is this the, uh, the sort well, of approach you need to take? So my own personal opinion is that I think that what makes a lot of Hollywood CEOs or studio executives successful, I don't think doesn't work in game studios. I, I, but I will say this, the, the model in terms of licensing IP and that sort of thing, like we've seen that time and again, that applying the right IP to the right gameplay actually makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that that model will continue to be successful. But like this approach, like having a studio in LA and then having them create a great game, I mean, then, then that's just a function of who the creators are, right? Do they have a, do they have a world-class team that can do that at the significantly higher cost structure in LA? And with all of that, like the people, in Silicon Valley, you're surrounded by a lot of Silicon Valley people. And then you're also surrounded by the Silicon Valley kind of approach and way of doing things. And in LA, you're also surrounded by the LA way of doing things, which is generally like super high cost, a lot of storytelling, a lot of BS, a lot of blah, 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 blah. 
a lot of nonsense, which is generally not good for a game studio. So I, I think that you're already starting with a couple of, you know, anchors on your legs trying to build a great studio in LA, in, in my opinion, just because of some of those issues. So I would, yeah, I kind of agree with you, kind of more incremental approach, taking, going from licensing to game rather than trying to build a great game. Because then what does a Hollywood studio add to that, right? Not, not I, was, I was mainly saying co-development, like I understand yeah. they want to do more than maybe co-development where they where they have a partner partner studio. And uh, but uh, by the way, L.A. has better game studios than San Francisco, hands down. Respawn, yeah, I, I'm not Sony arguing Santa that. Monica. But so when you look at so the, I wouldn't... look at the global <laughs> stage, right? Yeah, yeah I, I, I've been against development in San Francisco for 10 years. <laughs> like you're not. I mean, so, but look what's happening in, in China, right? The content cadence, the quality, the, the cost structure. So when, when you're talking about trying to be globally competitive, you're, you're not. You're not. So then well, it depends on and why is LA successful? Because you've got great brands and IP, you know, like League of Legends. And, and so you're able to leverage the IP and you also have great creators, right? So a lot of the mm -hmm. ex-Blizzard guys and guys with incredible talent, but then you have to aggregate those, those people and you, you have to make a team and you have to also fund them with a shit ton of money because those, those guys are not cheap. Yeah, that, that was exactly my point in the sense that this, this will eat a lot, like this will have a lot of cost before it sees daylight because the production is so long and because the need for people is so long. And that's why I consider it as a risky approach for the first title. Um, yeah, and when you're just, building a new game, that's to your point, it takes a long time. Like look, look at the, the typical development cycle at Blizzard, right? Six years. Is Bad Robot gonna invest for six years? And, and here's the thing, if you, you know, like how do you, how will they know that they're investing in the right people for six years? Like it's one thing if you're a Blizzard and you've got all these rock star you know, amazing talent, and you know these guys are the right people and they'll eventually get it right versus you're a Hollywood exec, you've hired some people with some titles, with some high titles, are they actually the right team that you could be investing in six years for nothing, right? So... Yeah, it's just it's just being on the red. No matter what you're doing, being on the red for year and years years on end. And if the entertainment business is tanking, like because of the COVID, they can't get into production. They can't actually, you know, create more movies. Then what do you cut? You you cut something that is most uncertain that will have more and more costs. No, it's that. The, the, sorry, you're that is it right there. You just nailed it in the head. Is that right now they're chasing the rainbows, right? They're chasing the dragon. You know, video games are hot, 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 and and traditional movies and television are getting a little bit hurt right now, but when the tides turn and people are back going to movie theaters, maybe if they ever do. Um, and the, the amount of money that you spend to build a triple a game, you know, is like 20 or $30 million a year, right? Are they going to use that, keep putting money into that, or are they going to actually divert it to making the next, you know, alias or lost or fringe or whatever else they do. I mean, these bad robot guys are prolific, man. Like I, I was looking at the things that they do, like alias, lost, fringe, person of interest, Castle Rock, Westworld, love craft country, which I really did enjoy. That was pretty disturbing. And then Super 8, Star Wars. I mean, these guys are crazy good at what they do. And so I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge for them to transition to building game development, and, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, is that there's just this huge disconnect between, and what was mistaken in this article is that making games is different from making movies and television. The skill sets are completely the opposite, right? In terms of two hour experience that you can 
craft and build a great story and whatever versus a 30 or 40 hour experience, right? Where that is not possible, right? To build that kind of story arc, et cetera, or, or much more challenging and much more costly. So anyway, so I think, you know, this is riddled with that, those kind of issues that have been plaguing this industry forever. And that's why most media companies have failed miserably, including Disney, MGM, I don't know, even Warner originally, but I think they're doing quite well now, as I've said before. And Lucas, obviously, as I said many times in the podcast, is probably the worst example of that. So anyway, I'm always worried about these hardcore game guys, game developers starting talking about cross-media. Whenever that word comes out in any type of press release, I, I, I get worried, right? Because I know he doesn't believe that, right? This guy, from what I'm, I'm reading between the lines, I don't know this guy. I know he built Left 4 Dead, which is an absolutely amazing game. He spent some time on Counter-Strike. He worked at Blizzard. And the last four years, I think he's been at Facebook doing VR, which I'm sure was a disaster and, and nightmarish in, 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 in that capacity. What I think is that this guy wants to make freaking games. Like, that's what he wants. He wants to make games. And so he he's taking this opportunity jumping in and, and hoping for the best to build a great team to build a great AAA product. And I think he seems to be potentially capable. I don't know if he's going to be able to navigate, you know, the, the cost and, and, the, and the politics of doing this within a very, very successful media company. So that's yeah. kind of my take on it. So I don't but know that, him. I, actually, I've never even heard about him, like, even indirectly. So I don't know how good he is or whatever. So, but it's just- Yeah, if he really wants to make a game, he should go to Asia. He should, you know, look for this, like, uh, come on. on a 10 cent. Come on. <laughs> He's old, like me. Come on. Like, I, I can't go anywhere, right? Firecraft. <laughs> I, I can't just jump up and go to Asia and create a team out there. Oh I got kids. In it's the not that easy. It's not that easy. You make you make China sound like it's not that easy. Anyway, let's talk about let's talk about the last article of the day. So my take, and this is not my take, but the article is my take on Supercell in 2020, 2020 as we begin our second decade. So this is the yearly post from Supercell CEO, Ilka Bonanen, and it's generally very well received because it's very down to earth and, and has straightforward messaging. So there are a few highlights that he raises up in his post. He talks about their monthly player active players increase year on year and being highest ever. Uh, total installs across all five games crossing 5 billion. Brawl Stars, Brawl, St Brawl Stars is the fifth game that hit 1 billion in total gross sales. And investee companies are putting out better and better games. This is from the article. Um, he talks about the work from, from home being a big change for teams that used to work in cells and praises the uh, the lack of, of the, and, and are praising lack of processes. So Supercell notoriously doesn't like any kind of middle management and that kind of stuff. People work together, they're really fast, almost like a startup-y like atmosphere, and now you're working from home. That's a big change from for, for that type of organization. He talks about updates, specifically game updates. So this is very interesting. Like Ilka is raising game updates in his post. Talks about the Brawl Stars updates. He talks about the Clash of Clans updates. Uh, Heyday Pop, uh, oh, sorry, he talks about Heyday and even Boom Beach uh, doing some kind of a Earth Day stuff. Um, and then he calls out Clash Royale quite specifically that they did a big update that kind of landed flat. That was the Clan War stuff. Didn't really work out, didn't move the needle. So they're really looking hard at that game. I was just, you know, a clear call out. He talks about Heyday Pop. Uh, saying that unfortunately it didn't find large enough audience. Interesting uh, reason for uh, for termination of the game because it was a very good game, and uh, as as we 
analyzed before heyday has tremendous amount of downloads but it's just an old game and they never really invested into the brand so uh, it's clear that the brand didn't resonate but also kind of confusing but because i would assume that it wouldn't be that difficult to get players for this type of game considering what kind of other puzzle games there are in the market so i don't know if you know whoa, they whoa, maybe whoa, could have whoa, searched whoa. better what sir mishkov come on dude anyway no no hold he, on hold on hold on you can't yeah. just say that i, I they, look like the game wasn't monetizing well enough to spend against and they may, they likely were not getting the organics they're used to with their games right so yeah when plarium and and playrix and and peak and all these guys even freaking zynga come out with a mobile game for puzzle game they're crushing it right because in theory they're actually earning their money back as they spend and they just didn't see that with this heyday pop so it wasn't that great of a game right and um, it, it wasn't competitive in terms of monetization with 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 the rest of the ecosystem otherwise they would have kept the game it's I mean, difficult to say it's difficult because supercell hasn't used to compete in this type of ua um right in, but the this... ua the competitive ua sorry puzzle games have become super competitive in ua right like yes. in terms of scaling yeah. there's so many competitors coming out with games and if you're not competitive on the product you're not going to be competitive in ua right and well, so, sometimes you can be less competitive on the product, but really competitive in the UA, and you actually win in the market. Uh, or, or, or in, okay, so in that way, maybe they just didn't feel comfortable with the profitability of, of the game on an ongoing basis compared yeah. to someone like Play. Fine, right? <laughs> but it didn't monetize as well as the other games that, that I when I yeah yeah it. yeah revenue per download wasn't wasn't yeah. in that in that in that sense the at the same level. But it, it, here's it, here's my thing. This is why I want this is why I'm pointing mm -hmm. this out. Making a puzzle game for 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 Supercell never made sense to begin with, right? <laughs> I don't know it, why it doing that. It, we we called out why it didn't monetize. It, it those type of games, even though they're you know somewhat easy to make as a vertical slice. They're extremely difficult to run. They yeah, they require not, insane content their, cadence. Right, and that's not their wheelhouse either. Yeah. Right, and so I, it, I I actually I mean I don't know I'm you know as a consultant for the day for Supercell I think they should try to reinvent Heyday or do something like you know on the simulation side that's kind of, kind of what they're doing or keep building you know cool course stuff that they do you know yeah I don't know anyway. why they're messing with puzzle next are they going to do casino like. <laughs> You know, try to well, they, build a they, casino game and try to scale that with like a gajillion other people that are building casino games. I mean, they, they can't be competitive in that. It makes well, no sense. Well, well, anyway, they, they don't they don't operate like that. It's a team that wants to build it, and if the team felt that they could build a really cool puzzle game, I qu I question why they green light this. This is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm because there's no green light process, and and I like. Well, make no, one. <laughs> Supercell has been talking about building a heyday puzzle game since heyday launched. That's how long it's been. Right, in, sorry, like, sorry, I'm interrupting. Yeah, anyway, I'm just let, let me go through. Everyone this. says I'm a jerk because I talk smack about Supercell, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, come on. Like I, that's what that's what my job is is to like okay. pick them apart. You know. So so let me let me pick this apart and you can do it. So uh, Ilka talks about that they have more betas launched and beta games uh, coming out this year and potentially more than they had in a very long time. And he talks also a lot about their different programs, the Supercell Creator, Supercell Make. Basically, what they're doing is they're connecting with their audience and having take part in the content creation. I think it's a powerful way to own sort of a, the most um, devoted players. Um, but according to a CEO, so this, let me take a step back. Like this blog post wasn't probably it, my personal favorite. It was um, 
it it, it kind of lacked the punch. But Ilka did actually a few interviews with the local newspaper here. And he was answering these questions in a totally different way and actually an answering some of the difficult questions of like, how are you competing against the Chinese companies that are just killing you with the content? What are you going to do? What is happening with a culture that is that is so small team driven, whereas in the live games, you have to operate in totally different. And then he had very straightforward answers like, hey, we are not keeping anything sacred. We're looking at things different ways. Uh, we are discussing about maybe live games should be run differently as a new games. We don't want to lose what we're good at versus, you know, but we understand what, where we need to develop. And those discussions are ongoing in the company. So that his interviews were, were really good. And it's kind of sad that they didn't come in the blog post. But anyways, even these programs, the Supercell Creative, Supercell Make, they're all ways to kind of get user-generated content into their game. And he was raising a lot of things, like how many maps they've created and so forth and so forth, because they are battling the one key thing. And that is, as we mentioned multiple times, it's how can they stay competitive when the game launches, how they can produce enough good updates to sustain and grow their games and not being trampled uh, as, as they've been in, in, in certain markets that are really content heavy. So also what, what's happening in Finland is you have to release your official numbers. Every company has to do that, uh, whether you're public or not. So Supercell released numbers, and they're actually quite close to sensor tower numbers that, that we were reporting previously. So for 2020, they made uh, 1.3 billion euros. I don't have dollars here. Anyway, 1.3, and um, that was down for nearly 1.5 in 2019. Their EBITDA went down as well, uh, but they kept the profitability margin of 31%. And the interesting part was EBITDA going down. Like that was a little bit um, surprising because they didn't launch any new games. Uh, Heyday Pop didn't launch globally. And Ilka was saying in his interviews that the, uh, the, law, the, the, the decrease of EBITDA is because of uh, accounting principles or some kind of accounting element, as well as their increased marketing investments as they're building player communities um, and investing into esports and stuff like that, the PSG tournaments and so forth. But it's still kind of worrying that the EBITDA went down when they didn't launch new games, they didn't scale, and in a market that was growing. Anyways, um, uh, what else? Uh, so uh, he talks about um, he, you know, he talks about the um, he, he naturally turns it around in a in a very positive way that they have only three hundred forty people, and that three hundred forty people are are responsible for over a billion in revenues, um, you know, and let me let me go through all my notes. I don't want to take too too much stuff. So overall, like I want to I want to just summarize it that I'm personally bullish about Supercell. I know JK is as well because they're good at something. They're really good and probably best in the world at something that nobody else is great at. And that is making new games. They also have really, really good people. So when you consider the talent they have in the company and the retention rate of that talent, it's probably the best in the industry as well. There's also no significant hint coming in from IDFA deprecation because their UA hasn't been the same type of a programmatic um, sniper shooting as it has with, with other companies. It's more like carpet bombing, taking all the channels and, and using a lot of top of the funnel. They've invested in that and that, that's actually gonna be very helpful for them going forward. They've also invested into not only these uh, platforms for content creation, but they've invested things like Supercell ID, which is a great tool for cross promotion and launching their, their um, whatever they wanna do with user ID going forward. 
Um, and then the fact that, as we discussed before, the, the fact that they are getting a new lead for, for Clash Royale and talking, talking very openly about live ops, the need of live ops, the size of Chinese teams, and who knows better the size of Chinese teams than Supercell that not, not only operates in China, but it's owned by Tencent and gets all the information needed to do whatever they need to do in order to, to modify their organization to succeed. And the word on the street is finally the JK's favorite thing. Word on the street is that the new games in the pipeline are absolute fire. Like something really cool is coming out this year. So that's 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 what I'm hearing in the street, in the cold streets of Helsinki. So that makes me feel really bullish about this. And and my take on on all of this is the same. You know, I I think live teams should be should be different than the new game teams. I think it should be a totally different organization because it's a 100% different job. That's what it is. I think they need the live team owners need to have a clear PNL focus. I think they need to explore more external development that would allow their their internal teams to stay relatively small and leverage external development studios to create more content so that they hold the creative vision, they hold everything, but they have a content treadmill somewhere else. Uh, I think the teams for the live teams could grow a little bit. I think Brawl Stars being run by 30 people is, is kind of ludicrous, to, to be honest, and and they could do probably so much more with, with a little bit more people. And I also think that that as you're thinking about this, you know, on-site marketing naturally should be should be, in my opinion, in the teams. And I think they should align. Like I don't know their incentive systems. I know that they're great, but whatever they have, it should be more likely aligned towards uh, rewarding in different ways. You know, maybe maybe the game growth should be rewarded in a in a different way than than launching new games. Uh, and operating on, on prototypes so that they get the, probably the best talent to work on the live games. But if everything is equal, then I always want to be making a newest, coolest prototype for the company. I don't want to be a running a live game and have all that pressure on me. I want to be just doodling around and, and creating a new, new fun core games and, and having fun. If I'm getting paid equally, then I would be running, you know, a 24 seven game of course so i don't know what their incentive system is but i would skew it towards towards live live games and um an investment strategy is the last piece they they kind of raise a couple of games that are done great uh, or have launched new games um it was kind of confusing because they, because they're talking about space ape launching some kind of music game i haven't played it might be great but it's it's kind of weird they talk about frog mine which they acquired before and they've made made badlanders and all kind of cool like it's an indie game studio and now they're doing some kind of a you know coding platform a no coding game and, and stuff like that so it wasn't that they you know i think the metacore is the only one that is really launching a game that is scaling everything else is is kind of uh, a weird weird thing to raise but overall i criticized their investment strategy before saying that they should have invested into companies like small giant for sure just acquiring that and they would have gotten scaled but taking a step back and really thinking about what the core competence of supercell is it's not live ops it's not ua I think they wouldn't have done nearly as well as Zynga with, with Small Giant. It would have been a wrong acquisition. So they should invest these small studios and be like, hey, guys, you like to make games? Guess what? We're the best at making new games. Let us help you out to make new games because that's what we do. So, yes, go ahead, invest into these small companies with talented people and dude, do what you do best. That and, horse, and that horse has left the barn, dude. There's no one else to acquire. <laughs> you know, they well, should have done that like 10 years ago or five they, years ago. They, they could have they could have acquired anybody. They could have acquired Peak. You know, Peak has a similar type of model of right, small right. teams yeah. grinding the could have would have should have right. I mean, it, but but it would have it would have broken their culture. Like it's not their right. core competence. We right. can see it. They don't they don't they're not the best at UA. They're not best at live ops. Let me so, let me let me summarize this in three points. One, 
the revenue was flat and the profit was down worse than revenue in 2020. Arguably the big, one of the biggest years in mobile and arguably one of the best years for established players to grow, right? Except for King, right? So anyway, so they, they failed, right? Growing in a huge market, right? Two, they still are absolutely massive profit powerhouse. 31% margins on revenue is, is amazing, right? That's industry crushing, right? They still are making amazing games, right? And so, so that's what their core competency is making amazing games, like growth, growth through acquisition, managing multiple teams, live ops, not so much, right? And that's it, that, that, that is what they are, right? And so what I would continue to say is that I feel that's very risky using their operating strategy across the industry, right? I think using other companies trying to emulate that could be a huge mistake, right? Because only they can do that because they have that talent, they have that capability, and they have the IP. And so the other thing that you missed, I think you missed on in terms of their potential strengths going forward is that IDFA doesn't really impact these guys. They're not, they're not like UA arbitrage guys. They just leverage their brands and they leverage cross promotion. They leverage, you know, their IPs and, and, and that could actually be a huge boon for them in terms of their next releases, because they will get an audience, you know, almost immediately. And that, yeah, maybe that, that will help them, but I think they should continue to do what they're going to do. But I, you know, growing is going to be a challenge in with their current strategy. That is what it is. So there. Yeah. Grow by launching new yeah. games. That's their strategy. And that should be it. If, if that's but, their core company. But, but don't make puzzle games. <laughs> it's just don't. I, it's, it was weird. I mean, I guess if you want to leverage that IP, but puzzle game? No, it, it, it's a great audience fit. Like puzzle and simulation. And no, it, like, no, it is not. It no, is. That, that, it come is. on, dude. It is. No, it that is. is not true. Is. Dude, every, every Brawl Stars, Clash Royale, Clash of Clans all make sense, right? It's the same audience, right? But puzzle is a different thing. It's a totally different audience. It's like 55-year-old ladies, dude. For Heyday, but Heyday is played Heyday. by 55-year-old Yeadays. Yeah, ladies. but Heyday is not a big game. That's not their that's that that game has been around forever, dude. They have like how many people actually play that game on a regular basis nowadays, you know? Like no. I would they assume they had, there was over no 5 million DAU. There was no there was no 5 million is nothing. So they, they they, they had no audience to leverage in puzzle. I'd be happy with, with 1 million DAU. I'd be... yeah, but that, we're talking about a Very different happy. scale. Extremely we're talking about a different happy. scale. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I, I, look, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Like I, I, every time they come out with games, yeah. it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, right? Yeah, I just so, have to say that the, the interview of Ilka was, was good. It, it was good. Uh, I think – yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe the uh, you guys read the uh, the blog post. How, what was your take on it? I skimmed it. I as a Supercell fan, I felt it was kind of flat. Not not a whole lot of insights or anything. But but I, I think everything that we talked about is roughly right. They are who they are. Eventually, they'll they'll launch other hit games, and that'll be great. They're not really a growth story. They're you know they've got a certain size based upon their operating model, which makes sense for them. That's great. By the way, the fact that they don't have any games in beta right now, and they usually take like years in beta, I mean, doesn't that kind of indicate that they don't have any games coming out this no. year? They're, their games are pretty fast through beta. Like Brawl Stars was the longest one. Normally, normally they kind of slam. Oh, through. wait a minute. Nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call bullshit on that, dude. Like, I, I, I remember, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting the name. Clash Royale was a few months. 
Brawl Stars was yeah, long. but Clash Royale came out blown up, right? And they, and they, they struggled. Then they had to redo kind of the whole monetization design midstream, right? Which so it's kind of like an extended add content, beta. add content. What was the, what was the other like Clash Clash of Clans style game? Which Boom Beach, Boom Beach was in beta forever, right? Brawl Star was in beta forever. No, I, no, Brawl yes. Stars. Is yeah, I remember Beach that. I was looking that at long. it when I was at Kabam. Anyway, the point is, is that like any game that has oh. not been announced or in beta yet, like even in this early, is seems impossible to get out by the end of the year. But you're right, Eric. They redid the art on Boom Beach while it was in the uh, in beta. That was, you know, that was a live ops. That, that was a that was a marketing thing to redo the art while in beta. Everything pretty much, like all the character art and everything. Yeah. Anyway, I look forward to seeing what they do. Yeah, I will right, we'll definitely else? play it. Not much. Back to renovations, dude. Are you? You're. You're not in a. You're not in a cabin. You're in a. In like some kind of like. Uh, That's the attic of your new house. Attic or, or something, right? This is my daughter's uh, top floor. Uh, okay. Like she has a two floor room. So this is. I'm in a kid's room. I, I really like the fucking thing where, where JK just wants to start a YouTube show at the moment when, <laughs> when I'm moving to a new house and I like, I don't have my study done anything. Like we have one floor fully in renovation. I barely have a spot to, to take a calls on. He's like, dude, let's do YouTube. So I'll try to be at the office next time. I just came in for my girls uh, gymnastics practice. So. Dude, and by the way, you know, Finland has absolutely amazing game developers, but what is wrong with the internet, dude? You always have problems with the internet. <laughs> like, how is it that it's not, in a, in a country as small as Finland, <laughs> doesn't have better internet, dude? I don't know. I, it's, it's my... Or, it's, or are you it's, just it's, cheap? It's, and, you, and you buy, like, ISDN uh, Starlink's coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. guys. Starlink's I think, I think you got it, Derek. <laughs> All right, have a good week, guys. Have a good right. week. Stay out of trouble. Bye. Bye.